in the heart of a champion there is a fire and the flames are Beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The first verse of the Gospel of Mark. We're back today with the second part of Calm in the Chaos. Christ lives in the heart of a champion. And it is a great joy to be back for this week of the Code of Man podcast. And thank you for listening. It is, uh, it is great to be able to bring the second part in this series of our studies in Mark that, was a, that we originally recorded this for a radio broadcast that we do for our church. We meaning this is part two of a three-part series. We won't be covering the entire Gospel of Mark, really just introducing the, uh, the studies that we were doing, the discussions we were doing through the chapters. And we've called it Calm in the Chaos because we see in the life of Jesus the way that we are to live when we're living in a world that is, well, just seemingly nonstop chaotic and maybe falling apart around us, demanding so much of us. How do we deal with all of that? We've got people that need our attention. We've got problems arising, plagues, pestilence, fire. It's all going on. And Jesus models for us how to live that busy yet unhurried life, doing the Father's will and remaining calm and all the chaos. And so we're going to join in on part two of that discussion with myself and old easy target Corey Cantrell. Not only is there the transition from John to Jesus and Jesus being baptized and beginning to be introduced to the world, but verse 13, it shows us how immediately this thing gets going for the Lord. He was there in the wilderness, or in verse 12, I guess, immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. Now, here's a thought I have about that. Not only does it show us how, how Jesus is, to use the word that's there, immediately driven into this, and his busyness is going to pick up, and this is going to be life for the next three years, but I think that uh, his time in the wilderness also, we're going to see throughout his public ministry, became something that he kept going back to. Not only was he tempted of the devil and fought and overcame that battle in those 40 days, but I think he found something out there that was critical for him, and we'll see it today before we finish chapter 1. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I never really thought of that before. Because you're right, all throughout the Gospels you see him time and time again going back to the wilderness. And I, I guess like I think if, I'm, if I was in Jesus' shoes going through what he went through for 40 days, my first instinct would be, man, I don't want to go back to the wilderness. That's where all that happened. But then again, on the other hand, that was a great victory that was won there in the wilderness. You know, for 40 days, you know, he communed with his father. He overcame a tremendous temptation and and thrived through that. Or and multiple. Really, yeah, multiple temptations. But that but that season, you know, was, was very intense. So as much as there might be look back of, man, that was a difficult time, 
I think when we overcome those difficult days, that solidifies a little bit of, okay, the next time I come through some difficult days, I want to go back to where I've already accomplished some victory and experienced some victory and and re-tap back into that well a little bit. This morning I was doing some uh, reading and note-taking and meditating on our upcoming conference. I was thinking of the subjects or the topics that I'll be teaching on solitude, separation, and spiritual warfare. Jesus encountered all of those three in that 40 days in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking about how that is the cycle of our journey. That's how the journey goes every day. It's the daily walk of a believer who wants to follow Jesus. There's solitude that leads us into a separation that will then put us in conflict with the world. So there's going to be that spiritual warfare, and then we have to go right back to the solitude to recover and restore from that. And so a lot of, I mean, we could just talk about verse 12 and 13 for the rest of this episode. I noticed some things in this chapter that stick out to me. And I kind of mentioned last week the authority of Jesus, but you see that right off here in the beginning, not only in that wilderness battle, but in the things that unfold through the chapter, the authority he has in his preaching and teaching, the authority he has over evil spirits, as is demonstrated in the in the synagogue on that day that we're going to look at a little more closely, and then the authority he has in calling the disciples. And so, you know, not that he made them follow him, but there was something in him, there was authority in him that compelled them to want to follow. And so authority is a big thing that jumps off, just kind of to open open up the discussion here of the remainder of chapter 1. Any any big thing to you? Well, I was going to go back just to, to verses 12 and 13, just real briefly, because I think in line with that authority, you know, that that's an important overall view of what's transpiring. But I kind of like how Mark just very briefly, matter of fact, covers the temptation in the wilderness. You know, we have some of these other insights because of the other Gospels going into a little bit more detail, but Mark doesn't really expound on any of that. It's just very matter of fact. He was there, you know, he was tempted of Satan, and he leaves the wilderness. And and I think in in light of the rest of the tone of chapter number one, what that shows is Jesus's life was, he had a lot going on, he was very busy, but there was no time to to reflect too off or, or I guess maybe to dwell too much in past successes or, or anything like that because there was a constant continuation and there was there was another work to do. And so John just lists, hey, yep, he does this, this is what he faced with, he overcomes it, he gets what he needs, boom, and then he's he's right back at it. And now we know that it wasn't a necessarily a, a boom boom. There was some time built in, but to 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 go right along with with that with that idea of the authority, you know, Jesus doesn't need to come down off the mountain and proclaim to everybody this great victory that he just had. It was his victory, and the other gospels give us the insight into it. But he goes right along, you know, continuing on in the work that his father had gave him to do. And and I'm I think that's what we've got to one of the things that we've got to model too, because it's so easy for us to want to you know rejoice in the past experiences, and if we're not careful, it'll detract us from the work that we do. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark, and those things which are behind us are not only our failures, but sometimes it's those victories behind us that we can't linger on or rely on. Um, We have to move on to what is next. And moving on to what is next, and in contrast to what you just said, you have this very brief description of 40 days where you enter in now into, very shortly here, a pretty lengthy discussion of one day. Yep. 
But before we get to a day in the life of Jesus, there is a section here where he calls these disciples. This is a great point or a great place of the Bible, which is why Mark is, one of the reasons Mark is wonderful, because chapter 1 has so much richness to it. I mean, let's be honest. We love the birth of Jesus, the story, but, you know, Luke and Matthew both have a lot of that genealogy in there, mm-hmm. and it's kind of, you, you sort of feel like it's sort of a slow start, but with Mark, it's gold from the very beginning. And here he calls the disciples. It just mentions in verse 16 down through verse number 20 how that he is walking along the Sea of Galilee and he sees Simon and Andrew and he, he calls them and he says, uh, Come ye after me and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook him and followed him. And the invitation that is given there, which I have shared here at the church a, a few times in the last months, is he is saying to them, to those guys, get behind me. And let's go, and I am going to write your your life into a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. And th- that's literally what th- the wording that he uses. And these guys, Dave's like, we're in. Let's yeah. do this. Let's go. And then, of course, he goes and sees James and John, and the same thing happens with them. They left their father and their nets and their boats, and they begin to follow him. Now, one thing that I want to point out here is that this is like the maybe what you would say the the second well it's the first call of the disciples but it isn't their first meeting of Jesus we're not told this in mark but we know from john that they had already gone and heard Jesus before and had begun to inquire of Jesus mm-hmm. but here Jesus calls them specifically and they begin to walk with him now it'll be some time before he actually appoints the 12 disciples. And a lot of times we miss that part. We think, well, here's the first four, and they are the first four disciples, but at this point, they're not, he hasn't called the 12 yet. Right. He's going to, from a pool of a lot of people, and it's going to be a couple of years before this happens, which is amazing. We don't think about that. It's going to be a couple of years into his ministry, or roughly, before he actually looks at the multitude and says, I want these 12. And by the way, he only does that after an all-nighter of prayer. Wow. Yeah, I was. I just wanted to point out again, out of verse seventeen, uh, you recently brought something out that that I have taken great hope from. Just in the wording of of verse seventeen, Jesus said unto them, "Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men." And the invitation that Jesus gave them was, "I see where you are right now, but where you are right now is not where you're going to be if you follow after me." And I think it is so easy for us to just assume that. Once we give our life to Christ, it's this some kind of radical transformation, and boom, we're fishers of men. You know, we, we have to be expected. Jesus didn't expect them to do that. He expected them to follow, to learn, to grow, and to develop. And the life of Jesus, his work, his ministry is, is encouraging to me because I don't have to feel the pressure of being right now what I ought to be 10 years from now or 20 years from now. You know, there's an expectation that, yeah— I won't be making the same mistakes or I won't be doing the same things now or 10 years from now that I am right now, but that's okay because it is this process of Jesus making me into ultimately what I'm going to become. Well, right after this, we enter into this section of Mark 1 that I like to call a day in the life of Jesus or how Jesus got things done. And, you know, he gets a lot done in this 24-hour period. And you know it's a 24-hour period because... 
Verse 21 says, and they went into Capernaum, and he's now got James, John, uh, Simon, and Andrew with him traveling together. It says they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. Now look at verse number 29. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So it's the same day, and then verse number 32, and at even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many of many that were sick of divers diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. Now, back up. So we've, we've shown, it's clear, it's all happening. This is like beginning of the day till nighttime. And Jesus does these things. He goes to the synagogue and he teaches. He is confronted by a man with an evil spirit who stands up and challenges him in the middle of his teaching in the synagogue. And Jesus, with his authority, speaks and rebukes the evil spirit and calls him out. And verse 26, when, when Jesus says, come out of him, verse 26, the unclean spirit that had torn him cried with a loud voice and came out. And the people are impressed, again, verse 27, with the doctrine because he speaks as one with authority. Well, look at all the authority he has there. Not only his teaching, but the authority over that evil spirit. And so just right here, right up in the morning, he's already taught. He's already been casting out evil spirits. And it says that as they come out, then they discover that Simon's mother-in-law is sick. And he goes right in and takes care of her. So it's been a pretty busy day so far. Yeah, from from morning until night, it's what we would say wide open and sideways. Mm. But the the thing that I, but you know he's <laughs> he's wide open, he's engaged, and the thing that I that I love in reading is that you never you never see you never see him distressed or overwhelmed. Calm in the chaos. You know he he just he just goes right along, and and again I, I've mentioned this before. I love how Jesus never gets frazzled by the things that would drive us crazy. We see the disciples time and time again getting frazzled, getting distressed, getting anxious because of everything that's going on around them, and yet Jesus just clicks right along. He's never deterred from his ultimate objective. He is always about his Father's business. He is always about the main thing, and yet with his eyes on the main thing, he is still able to impact the lives of those that are around him, to enter into their needs, to enter into their struggles, you know, to to care about what they're going through, and it doesn't take him away from caring about what he needs to be caring about either. Because what you're describing there is something we, we talked and learned about last year in our conference here, the mystery of godliness. It's singularity. You said Jesus stayed focused on his Father's will, and yet he was able to do this and this and this. That's because Jesus saw all of the thises and thats mm-hmm. as part of that singular purpose. Yes, He viewed his life that way. We have a hard time with that. And as we grow in our Christian life, we get better at it. But we tend to be more of a compartmentalized people where we we think, well, I've got to go get groceries, and I've got to get the oil changed, and I've got to get the children picked up from school, and then I need to make sure I spend some time with God today, you know, this evening. Well, with Jesus, his life was always doing all those things with the Father and that communication and relationship there. Now, again, that's a great lead-in to the next part of this because the day is about to wrap up here with him says all the city was gathered together at the door, and he's healing all these different people. He's absolutely, as you said, wide open sideways, wide open as a butcher's knife. That's probably what I was thinking of earlier. Yeah. But um, he's busy, but he's available. That That's the incredible part. How can he be so available to these people? But lest we think that 
every day with Jesus was like that. Watch what happens next. In verse 35, and in the morning, it's the next morning. We're in that 24-hour cycle still. And the next, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Now, we'll come back to that verse, but watch what happens. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And what you see happen here is that Jesus didn't get up the next morning and spend the entire next day nonstop with the people of Capernaum. He says, even though everybody was looking for him that morning, he says, well, we need to leave and go somewhere else. That detachment, that discerning detachment that Jesus had, which is very hard for us to do. Last night, we had a class here at the church, and I have a group that finished up a study we've been doing, and we were talking about why we're so busy and why we're always in a hurry. And I asked the, the group, I said, give me some reasons why we have a hard time eliminating hurry from our life. And the very first thing that was mentioned by someone was because of the expectations of others. Jesus, while he did everything that we've talked about, and you mentioned how, how he was always making the time for people, yet he also was able to discern when he didn't have time. Right. And he could move to somewhere else. Now, the key, everything about this day, this 24-hour period, hinges on verse 35. It is the golden takeaway of chapter 1 for me, that in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. What you have there is that practice of solitude, that solitude that creates real separation, not just physically. Yes, he's physically separated in the solitude, but what happens is when he comes back from the solitude, he's able to separate himself from everybody's expectations, the world's assaults. And in that solitude, he's realigning his heart with the Father. So there's this restoration. You think about everything that day had required of him. He needs the morning to go and be with the Father and get restored. Now, let me read this, and I'll I'll, uh, defer to you here. I was doing some, again, some reading this morning. I came across this by Thomas Akempis in The Imitation of Christ. This is Akempis. So anyone who has set his heart on progressing spiritually will do well to spend time apart from the crowd as Jesus did. No one is more confident in public than one who voluntarily retires alone. No one can more safely speak than one who knows how to refrain. No one governs better than one who can live willingly under someone else. No one commands with more assurance than one who can take orders. That's who Jesus was. And that time with the Father there in the morning was all about him being willing to get alone from everybody else. He could speak because he had been silent. He could lead because he was being led, and he could command because he knew how to take orders. And we, when we don't have that in our life, we're going to be, to use your word, frazzled, and we're going to be uh, very hurried and disturbed people. Absolutely. You know, in, in the life of Jesus, we say, that we say, and rightfully so, he is our model. But we don't live that way because a lot of times we read all this and we think, well, you know, Of course Jesus could do all those things. He was Jesus. And yet to use a thought that you have been messaging multiple times over the last several weeks, we have access to all that Jesus is and was. His power, his way, and his manner of living. He truly was our model for us to follow after. But if we want to be able to live life in the way in which Jesus lived, it's going to require some discipline, and it's going to require some diligence to do what is necessary to Uh, acquire more of him. It's going to take that solitude. It's going to take that intentional separating away 
and being able to uh, to commune with the Father, to commune with Jesus and to draw our strength from him. But it's not going to come very easy or just flippantly or by accident, but it's going to really require some work on our part. We'll just kind of summarize the remainder of the chapter. But Jesus does go on to the next towns and begins to preach throughout Galilee. He continues to do the work of casting out the devils, and uh, he, he heals a leper at the end of the chapter. There's so much there, uh, but he, he wasn't depleted. He was mm-hmm. reinvigorated and re-energized, and he could go and do it again somewhere else for someone else. Jesus understood Isaiah 26.3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, because he trusteth in thee. He lived that. And that's our example. In the heart of a champion, there is a fire. And the flames are controlled by burning desire. To be the best you can be. In the heart of a champion